welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. My name is Dennis, and by the grace of God, I am a grateful recovering sexaholic. Um, I wasn't planning on this, so I will just wing it. Um, my abuse, I would say, started as early as I can remember, back when having my diapers changed. And, but I really became aware around age four or five. And um, by then, I was a sexaholic, but I didn't know what sex, being a sexaholic was even about I seen a little boy. We took my daughter to church yesterday out of a treatment facility. She's got to go with us. And I seen a little boy looking back at her. And it wasn't just, you know, admiring how he could not stop looking. And um, it was sad. I looked and he would look away and he would look back and he would just, and I just, I don't know whether the little kid was a sexaholic, but it reminded me of me at his age when I couldn't not look. Um, We had pornography openly laying in the house. Um, we were allowed to look at it as children. Um, and I can remember, you know, every day looking at it. And my brothers would look at it a little bit, but then they would want to go out and play, and I'd want to stay and continue to look at it. And I had no idea the harm that that was causing or the uncontrollable force that was being, um, I guess, planted the seeds inside the soil in my heart of what was going to grow. I had no idea, but all I knew is that it was exciting. It was something I really, really liked as a young child. Um, An older woman, I remember just being a a little boy, maybe five years old. It was before I went to elementary school, so I guess it was five. Um, Laid in my bed, pretending to sleep with her um, breasts exposed. And I remember the exhilaration that I saw, and I can remember to the day exactly what that was like and that feeling. And um, I, um, <clears throat> from that day forward, just could not get enough. Um, started masturbating at about seven years old and started being inappropriate with my cousins and friends in the neighborhood. Or, you know, and, and why, from what I was taught as, a, as growing up is that if if I liked you, you know, we had sex. That's what we did. That was, you know, I was very much wanted to please. I enjoyed it. So and I didn't know it was wrong at the time, or I shouldn't say it was inappropriate. Um, by 10, my daily reading was a penthouse forum, uh, reading the stories that were just horrific. And at the time, I would savor them so that I didn't uh, run out. You know, because I knew we got the monthly magazine once a month. So um, that continued on in about 12 years old. And I think when I got into about sixth grade or so, I knew that I was not like other people. And the way I was wasn't okay. And so I decided I didn't want to do this anymore. But what I didn't know is that I wouldn't be able to stop. And I remember really fighting this disease with all I was 
and uh, it had complete control of me at that age. There was nothing I could do. Um, I was a sexaholic at 12 years old. I, I tried everything, and I remember the first time at about 13 I found drugs, and it was numbed out. For the first time in my life, I didn't have to be controlled by it. So I just poured my life into drugs. But within a year, I think, <clears throat> or shorter, the dr- I was a drug addict and a sexaholic. And I tried everything. I tried going to church. I tried everything I could. And finally, at 16, my life was so out of control with um, drug dealing and um, assaults as far as not sexual, but um, just living the life of uh, a hoodlum, I guess is the best way I could put it. Um, I um, tried to go into the military at 16. I went down to a recruiter and said, no, you can't go in until you're 17. And I knew that I was either going to die or end up in prison for the rest of my life. And and I really, what I wanted was um, some discipline. We had none at home, and I figured that going into the military would help. Um, so three days after my 17th birthday, I didn't, I wasn't going to be able to graduate school anyways, um, I went into the Air Force and got into boot camp and started going to church and really thought, man, this is it. I, this is finally what I've been looking for. And I went three months. I was sober for three months. And that was, I've never been sober more than a couple of days in my life. Um, got stationed in my first base in Hawaii, and the drinking and the drugs and the sex all came back. And I spent the next four years um, progressing my sex addiction. I came back out of the military and got a job and met who was to be my wife of now still 32 years. And I was in love, and I knew that this was going to take care of it. I knew that I would never have to live like that again. Um, and, I, and I knew in my heart I would never cheat on her. I just knew it. Um, but what I was shocked at is the masturbation came back, and then um, the pornography came back. And I think within a few years, I had picked up a, a, a woman that was hitchhiking off the road. She was drunk and acted out with her. And I was just, I can't tell you the guilt and the shame and the, uh, what did I just do? Oh, my God, what have I done? But the addiction had got to a point where, you know, the relief I was getting wouldn't even last hours. You know, the, uh, I had to, you know, keep progressing the disease but when I picked that woman up, I had almost five days of relief from my disease, like I'd never had. But like it says in the white, white book, what I didn't know is that what was going to come back, the disease, was a thousandfold more intense. And if I thought my insides were dying off masturbation and pornography, I was in a complete new state of uh, disease when it came back after picking that woman up. And I'll just fast forward and not give you all the gory details. Um, I'd say over the next 30 years um, of, of that, I winded up picking up many drunk women. Um, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of prostitutes and hundreds of massage parlors, and it was never enough. My last, and eventually um, I stumbled into an area where I crossed over the gender line for the first time. It made me so sick that I walked out and I puked. I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe this. And I begged God, God, please, please help me. And uh, I remember where I puked. I, I promised God at that moment, I'll never, never go back there ever again. And a week later, I was 
walking back right where I had puked and walked back in there and, you know, begging me, please don't do this, please. And uh, so this went on for years and years. And um, I would, you know, it, it took me to depths. I never dreamed I would ever go. Um, and I remember seeing people that were ahead of me like 10 years. And it was, I said, man, that's going to be me. That's me and I don't want this. So I eventually had just, um, I was using a lot of pain pills at the time, alcohol, marijuana, whatever I could take to try and numb it out. We came back from a vacation with my family, which was not that great. And I went to a massage parlor on a Wednesday and Thursday. I met some guy in a park. And then on Friday, I put an, an, an ad in and a woman responded who was um, a younger woman. I'm 52. And she came to my office and what was only supposed to be touching turned into unprotected sex. And I hid everything with my name on it. And when we were done, she looks and she said, oh, my God, you're with this organization? She goes, my husband is so-and-so, and I know him. He's, I represent him. Uh, and I just, it made me so sick to my stomach. And as she left and said, all right, I'll see you again sometime, I was still, the disease didn't even give me 10 minutes of relief. I already was on my way up to put another ad on. Um, because I, I I couldn't, but I just took a bunch of pain pills and drank a bunch of alcohol and uh, used a bunch of drugs. So that day, I got I went into SA the next day, on July 29, 2014, and I didn't want this lifestyle anymore. And my first day, I got a sponsor, and I was willing to do whatever he told me. I don't care. you Whatever you say, I'll do. And I got rid of a ton of drugs, thousands of dollars, um, got rid of everything. I quit video games, everything. I stopped everything that I was addicted to and was just going to do this program. By day four, I was writing out my first step and um, my sexual history. And I remember writing something about one of my abusers as a young child and the compulsion hit again. And when the compulsion hit, there would be nothing I could do to stop it. It would overwhelm me to where I had to go and use um, there's nothing that could stop it. And I said my prayer that my sponsor gave me, God, I'm powerless over this. I, I surrender this completely to you. I need your power. Please lend me your power just for today so thy will be done. And I, sw- I felt like a wind hit me. It's like, and from complete arousal to where I was going to go, the relief came, the desire left, and I was just free at that moment. And I thought, oh, my God, I don't ever have to do this again. So I, I prayed that prayer, I don't know, I'd say a million times, but a thousand times. Um, every time I would get hit, I would pray that prayer, and I was getting relief. And um, doing everything my sponsor asked, I was doing my readings in the big book, 30, pages 30, 31, 86, 88, 417 through 420, and I was calling guys every day, reading two pages of the big book, the white book, and spiritual literature. I was doing 90 and 90. I was, my wife knew at this point um, because we were at a counselor. So that was no problem. And, um, but something started to change. I was able to go a week and then three weeks and then a month and then two months and as soon as I started getting into my sponsor, had me do making coffee. At 30 days, he had me start leading meetings. At six months, he had me start taking literature chair positions, um, and I was still calling guys every day. And I think what 
I've always, as a child, as I was growing up, I always loved God. I did. I loved him. I just, it just, he, he, you know, all the times I've called out for him, he, it never relieved my sexaholism. And I have really found out through working this program that, um, you know, as, I, as the lust mountain got crumbled, then there was even a bigger mountain behind it. The, um, it was resentments, fears, and, and I have a ton of those. As those started to get crumbled, I came face to face with the real problem. And the real, it was me and my ego and my selfishness. And to this day, I still take that to God daily and surrender that and lay that at his feet and say, man, I can't do this because I know if I'm back in charge what that's going to look like. Today, I have a relationship with my higher power that I've always desired, that I've always wanted. I have a relationship with my wife who knows that, you know, she read my step one, unfortunately, and harmed herself with it. I've had over 3,000 sexual partners. And I have a relationship with her. She's my best friend now. She truly understood and realized that, you know, I, I didn't want this. I haven't wanted this since I was 12 years old when I started to quit, that I have a disease. And, there's, and that disease is going to be with me the rest of my life. And, you know, I, I, I'd like to think that, you know, well, I don't want to ever hurt her again. But the truth is, I don't want to hurt me anymore. I'm done. I want to do whatever my sponsor tells me. I want to, you know, work this program. And, and the biggest thing that I have found to help me in my sobriety is you all, is the relationships I have. I was such an isolated person. But I get to see God and speak with God every day when I'm with you guys. And I can't tell you how much you guys have done to save my life. And when I go on WhatsApp in the morning, when I get up to hear the shares and the testimonies and I get to call and talk to you guys and be on these meetings, it is saving my life. And I don't have to do this anymore. I don't, you know, I don't want to take one more drink. I want to go the rest of my life without taking a drink. So far, that hasn't been possible. But God gives me freedom, and I have to rely on him 100% to do for me what I can't do for myself because I can't fight this disease. I won't lift one ounce of my own energy to fight it because it's deadly if I even think about that. So I just surrender every day. I go to meetings pretty much every day, um, and I get the fellowship with you all every day. So I do honestly say when I love you all, I really do because you're saving my life. So with that, I'm Dennis from Alaska, and I am a grateful recovering sexaholic because I'm getting a life that I never dreamed imagine. Thanks. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.